0: Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your amazing, saving grace with which and through which you allowed us to be made right before you through your Son Jesus. Thank you for the faith to call upon Jesus as Lord and Savior. Thank you for opening blind eyes and moving in our hearts so that we as an act of our will might surrender to you and trust you as our Lord and Savior. Thank you that as a result, you seated us with your Son, Jesus, in the heavenly places. Thank you for providing us with armor, with which and as we dress in moment by moment we are enabled through the power of Your might to withstand the schemes of the devil and then to stand firm. So Lord, as You're teaching us this text would You also help us to apply it into our lives? Would You help me preach this passage clearly, communicate it with boldness but also with confidence not in my ability to do so but in your word, which is true. I pray in your name. Amen. Forgive me if you've heard this story before. I'll share it in an abbreviated form to set the table for our discussion. Um, And I will preface it with no stories that I share from any military experience that I had should should be heard from you so as to put me in a place as being some hero, which I wasn't, I was a 20 year old punk kid in the desert of Iraq and Saudi Arabia and Kuwait. And I'm grateful for grace and his patience as he was (laughs) developing me in the midst of that. So just hear this for what it's worth. But we did spend about 42 days sitting on top of our 42 ton track vehicle. That was our howitzer, It, it shot a 200 pound bullet about 20 miles if needed. So as we're traveling through the sand dunes and desert of um, that land over there back in 1990 and 91, um, searching for uh, the line in which we were there to support, right? Um, I found it, I got pretty skilled at taking advantage of transit time. So you're kind of on that thing right there and it's just hauling through the desert and you're moving along from point A to point B, ready to, I guess drop that spade behind you and fire if needed. But the longer we're traveling through those deserts, and the more tired I got, the more skilled I got at taking a nap, even if we were on top of that thing. So on top of this howitzer is me and my position, and on the other side of the tube is the gunner, and then inside the turret who's driving it is my high school friend, Bill. And everyone else is in other vehicles following behind us, and we're traveling through that desert. And I had taken my bulletproof vest... And put it on top of that metal chair that I was sitting on. And it kind of served as a little shock absorber. And it would kind of make it a little little bit more bearable and comfortable when I'm sitting down there. And I'd taken and unstrapped my Kevlar helmet and put it at my feet and used it as a footstool. Kind of a homemade military ottoman on the go. And I'd taken my one of two weapons, my M16 rifle, and hung it on a hook right above me. And an M60 rifle and put it right below my seat. And I am fast asleep as we're traveling until the percussion of a landmine exploding underneath me goes off. And it kind of rocks, even that big thing. And the smoke kind of comes up and it, it consumes and scares me. It awakens me. And I check body parts and grab for a gas mask in case I needed it. And I didn't, but I strapped on everything that had been issued to me by our great United States military and then climbed over the tube to tell my buddy what had just happened, and he was all too painfully aware as he kept on going in the direction we had been on. I tell you all that to kind of set the table for this. And as I look back at that, and now some, what feels like 150 years ago, it seems pretty silly to me now that I would have used articles of armor that were designed and meant to keep me safe and alive and effective as articles of bedding so I could be (laughs) comfortable and help me sleep. And whether we're aware of the dangers around us in the spiritual battle that we find ourselves in and engaged in this war, or we're ignorant of the true threat, at that time, those 30 years ago, I physically was in a real war with a real enemy that was set on my destruction. And the parallel of this, and I hope you kind of see ahead of time where I'm going with this, is that every Christian, every one of us, is also in a real war. We are in a real war with a real enemy, and that enemy is set on our destruction, and he's set on our disruption, and he's set on disrupting us from intimacy with God and effectiveness in his kingdom work. And it's a real battle, and we talked about that last week. He's set on robbing us from the abundant life that Jesus came to provide to all those who trust in Him. But, and this is the good news, our loving Heavenly Father has not left us ill-equipped for the battle that we're in, and he's, He's graciously provided every believer protective armor so that we can withstand in what Paul says in Ephesians 6 as the evil day, and having withstood in the evil day, and having done all the things that He had prescribed, to then stand firm. However, and this is the message in a sentence really, it requires our ability to stand firm, that is. It requires that we recognize the reality of war. you got a 20-year-old kid on top of a howitzer who's humming through the desert and taking a nap on protective gear. He doesn't realize the reality of war that he's in the middle of. And you've got believers who are humming through life busy and content or complacent, whatever the word might be most fitting, in just going through the motions of life, unawares that there's more going on than that which we can see. And we're not exactly cognizant or recognizing the reality of that war, much less taking the pains to get dressed for battle every moment of every day. But today we're going to look. We're going to look, having set the table last week for what he Paul mentioned in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, today we're going to look at three of those pieces of armor specifically that God gives to each of His children. You have been fashioned and equipped if you are in Christ and a born-again believer. So my prayer is that we hear this. My prayer is that we awaken to the battle around us and that we take seriously the call, the command to get dressed. Would you follow along as I read these Three verses that come next in Ephesians chapter 6, starting at verse 13. This morning we're going to see the command reiterated and the armor that's provided. So here's the word of the Lord. Ephesians 6, verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand firm. Verse 14. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. This is the word of the Lord. May he add richly to our reading with clear understanding and hearts. Ready to apply. So I'd like for us to walk through this and to begin looking at verse 13, looking at the command reiterated. I'm using the word reiterated because the command in verse 13 should strike you as being familiar as if on repeat, okay? Therefore, Our passage begins with this solid word, therefore, as it does in a lot of Paul's letters, and I'm sure you've heard it before, so Forgive me ahead of time for reminding you of this good, personal, inductive Bible study practice that every time you come against a word, therefore, in the Scriptures you're studying, stop. Take the time and ask yourself the question, what's this there for? Cute, pithy, but effective because it causes you to slow down and look back. In this situation in verse 13, This word is providing the occasion for Paul to reiterate what he's just issued and commanded. Look back at verse 11. Here's the case in verse 11. Paul's just finished saying, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So here Paul reissues in the verse we're looking at Not only the command that he spoke of in verse 11, but also the promise that he issued with the command in verse 11. You get them both again. So let's look at both of them together. The command and then the promise. The command. Take up the whole armor of God. Language is a little bit different. First off is put on, which is to be dressed, take up is to grab and to hold on to that which you've been issued. Use it for what it's worth. Paul provides a list of seven different articles of armor that make up the whole armor of God. The first six, <laughs> I had to get my fingers right, the first six have this illustration and allusion to he's He's comparing it to the dress and wardrobe of the armor of a Roman soldier. So the first six all have to do with pieces of a Roman soldier's armor. The seventh one is a standalone thing. It's not a tack-on. It's not an addition. It is part of your warfare, and that is prayer. Notice what these are. And you'll notice when you read through this list in Ephesians 6 that... What's important that we grab hold of is the word in each that follows the small two-letter word of. It's in every one of them. Notice, it's the belt of truth. It's the breastplate of righteousness. It's the shoes of peace, the gospel of peace, right? But the shoes of peace. It's the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, and then finally, as I've said, prayer. What well, I don't want you to miss, I'll say it one more time so you catch it. As you're studying through this, it's good to learn the lessons that are being illustrated as they relate to the Roman soldiers' uniform and armor. But the thing that we need to grasp are the words that follow of truth, righteousness, peace, faith, salvation, and of course the word, the sword of the Spirit, Right? This is not the first time. It won't be the last time either, but it's not the first time uh, that the armor of warfare has been used in scripture. We read it. Madeline led us in reading and I interrupted, sorry. But Madeline led us in reading the scriptures where we saw the the how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news, right? So we see that allusion there and then there are two other places that I want to point us to that show this these They're basically literary antecedents, right? So in other words, we're we're talking about a list in Ephesians that are addressing things that have already been brought up in the Old Testament. He's referring back to some of those things. You kind of hear echoes of them throughout. Consider this, Isaiah chapter 59. In Isaiah 59, starting at verses 14 through 17, it is God who is the one who dresses up in battle armor, and He does so because no one else is able to do what needs to be done. So God dresses up in battle armor so as to bring about salvation and justice to the people. Listen to these words, and you'll hear some of the same things that we're hearing in Ephesians 6. This is Isaiah 59. Justice is turned back, the prophet writes. In righteousness... "...stands far away, for truth has stumbled in the public squares, and uprightness cannot enter. Truth is lacking." You hear the echoes, right? All throughout. "...truth is lacking, and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. The Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man who wondered." that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought him salvation and his righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. When God puts on this armor, when God intervenes to combat the enemy, it is not an elongated battle, but it is one that is won decisively and destructively to our enemy's crushed head, so that when we stand in battle, we do not stand so as to win a battle. We stand in the confidence of the one and secured battle that He, our Lord, has secured. That's Isaiah 59. Consider Isaiah chapter 11, where the prophet is speaking of a shoot that was going to rise up out of the stump of Jesse. And of this shoot, Isaiah writes these words in Isaiah 11 verse 5. He writes this, righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness, the belt of his loins. Aren't you encouraged? Aren't you encouraged with how these pictured Jesus as our deliverer and as the strength in which we stand? We've seen this command. We've actually seen it three times now in the verses. It's not in verse 10, because in verse 10 we just had this admonition. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Here's the command. Put on the whole armor of God. And now we see it again in verse 13, therefore, take up the whole armor of God. That's the command. That's the instruction for us to get dressed, not to sit on our armor to make ourselves comfortable or get complacent, but to put it on cognizant that we have an enemy that is seeking whom he may devour. Now let's look at the promise. It comes right on the words to follow. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, and here's the words, "...that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm." Withstand what? Withstand against the schemes of the enemy that we saw last week, right? Paul wants to make sure that the believers in Ephesus, the Ephesian church, would be able to stand against the enemy's schemes when... In the evil day. What does he mean by the evil day? A couple options. The evil day, Paul could mean that the everyday difficulties of living as a marginalized believer in a world that's dominated by the devil. Could be that. And there would be no wrong in seeing that as one of the options or being one of the things that Paul means. But more likely... Paul is referencing how all of our life is leading to an end, right? Whereby evil will continue to ramp up and it'll continue to intensify as it does so with its death grip on the world and the world system, right? Now, in light of that and in the realistic recognition of the strength of our foe, remember last week we said our foe is strong. But our Savior is stronger, but our foe is indeed strong. But in light of the strength of our foe, believers cannot sleep on this command. We must take up the whole armor of God, the panoply that we talked about last week, so as to stand in the victory that has been previously secured by King Jesus. As Watchman Nee wrote, we do not fight for victory. We fight from a place of victory that Jesus provided. Right? We're not, we're not fighting to gain ground, we're standing firm in Christ. Notice how this promise is connected in both verses 11 and in verse 13 with the observance and the obedience to the command. Put on the whole armor, right? I don't want you to miss this. Put on the whole armor of God, verse 11, that you may be able to stand. Verse 13, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand. In 1655, a Puritan minister by the name of William Gurnall. He wrote a. He basically wrote a 1500-page treatise and commentary to his church as a gift. So you're welcome that I'm not writing you that, um, as a gift on an exposition of these verses, verses 10 through 21. And as part of that which he wrote to his body, he wrote this. In this armor, we are to stand and we are to watch and never relax our vigilance. The saint's sleeping time is Satan's tempting time. Every fly dares venture to creep On a sleeping lion. I love that. Kind of cool. He's not saying that when you go to bed, that's when the devil does his work. But he's doing when you take a spiritual nap, like I did in the desert, thinking that, hey, yeah, there's probably a war going on around me, but it's not going to impact me. It's not going to impact my marriage. It's not going to impact my work. It's not going to impact my kids. I'm just coasting. Life is good. In this armor, we're to stand. We're to watch and never relax our vigilance. The saint's sleeping time is Satan's tempting time. And every fly dares venture to creep on a sleeping lion. That's the promise, which follows the command. Now let's look at the armor and take a few minutes to think about the first three articles of our armor. The first is this, it's the belt of truth the belt of truth. Look down. We've now entered into verse 14. He says, stand therefore, having done something. So these are three permanent articles of your clothing which were issued to all of us at your salvation. Your position in Christ for the genuine believer cannot be taken away. And he's saying, stand therefore, having done this. So although we were saved, and we were saved by truth, we were saved and had the imputed righteousness of Christ, which I'll talk about in a moment. What he's talking about here is that, but he's consistently telling us that each and every day we must cognitively and spiritually and humbly get dressed in this clothing. Let's think about it. Having fastened on the belt of truth. Now the Roman soldier's uniform, his his body of armor, um, was fastened together by probably a a big leather belt. And that leather belt served a few different functions. Not one over the other, but it did all of these things. One, it supported and protected his lower abdomen. So it it was a protective device and it also um, protected his vital organs. Second thing, it it held his sword, right? Right. And the final thing, probably not final thing, but the final thing I'm going to talk about is that it, and there were a few different kinds of belts, but in general, this is what these did, is that it would be used to gather up their tunic or their robe that they would have worn and, and tuck it in so that they were on the ready to either stand their ground or run, when, run toward the fight and offensive as the need provided. You think about this, you've heard this language. In Exodus chapter 12, God has issued to the children of Israel the instructions of the Passover on the evening before they're going to be sent away by the Egyptians to begin the process of entering into the promised land and they were to eat the Passover meal for the first time. And God instructed them saying this, in this manner you shall eat with your belt... Fastened. And it's not. He's not reminding them that. Listen. Brown belts go with brown shoes. This isn't a. This isn't a fashion advice, right? He's saying, eat the meal this way with your belt fastened, fastened, and your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand. What are we? What's he pointing at? Readiness, right? Preparedness. In the first century, you may have seen a soldier if you were walking through village and town or wherever you might have interacted and seen them, you may have seen Roman soldiers walking through the streets. And if he was on duty, you knew he was on duty because his belt would be tightened and not loosened. If he was off duty, his belt would be loosened. His cloak would be free. And his sword would... It's on there, but it's not on there in such a way that he's going to have to fumble around to it, right? But when the Roman soldier was on duty... You knew it because it was tightened, cloak in, sword strapped, and ready. He was not only on duty. He was on the ready. Likewise, here's the connection to our readiness and the picture of this armor. The believer is always to have his or her belt firmly fashioned and considered himself or herself as being on right? Jesus would speak of this, or he did speak of this actually in a a few occasions, one of which I'm going to tell you in Luke chapter 12. Jesus has this to say. He says this, stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. There is a sense of readiness that is to be ours, church, where our belt is strapped and ready, cloak is prepared for us to move and stand firm, and our sword is on our hilt ready. But what is the substance? That's the belt, right? What is the substance then that the believer is to fasten around himself? In a word, truth. Some commentators, as you're reading through things that they're writing about this passage, some commentators think that the truth that Paul is referring to is the divine revelation of inspired Scripture. Or just truth is doctrine. And there's certainly everything right about that, right? Other commentators are convinced that what Paul is referring to when he says, fasten and tighten up your belt of truth... That He's referring to the truth of the heart or sincerity, integrity, right? I think it's both of these things. I don't think it's one over the other or one at the exclusion of the other. Um, But it is the truth. Think about this. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. It is the truth that sets us free and leads us, because of the kindness of God, to repentance and to salvation. And it is through the truth of God's Word that believers are sanctified and transformed through the renewing of our minds. You and I, practically, when we fasten on the belt of truth as we're going through our day, as we're in our quiet time in the morning, as we're we're taking it in under the preached Word, as we're walking in truth, in our inward beings, and when we stand firm in the truth of the Gospel, we're fastening our, our belt. Right By relating everything we do, everything we think, everything we believe to the truth of God's Word. The devil's first offensive against humankind was to strike an attack, shoot an arrow of doubt against God's Word as spoken to Adam. Did God really say? Satan's schemes to this day, will target your mind and they will target your heart seeking to have you question your position in Christ and maybe even the serious effect of sin. Maybe it's not that bad to dabble in this or that or the other. Why else would the first half of this letter, chapters 1, 2, and 3, focus itself on doctrine Truths that Satan would have you question at every turn. According to the uh, Reformation study Bible notes, which I like to read through often, it says this, with the belt of truth, Paul seems to have in mind the confidence that comes from a growing certainty about the truthfulness of God's Word. So as we're strapping on and Preparing for battle. We're preparing for mobility. We're preparing to stand firm. We do so with the truth of God's word and the integrity of a heart being lived for Christ and in the integrity of our heart um, so that we can take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And we do so armed with that word. Second piece of armor that Paul presents to us is a breastplate and it's the breastplate of righteousness the breastplate of a roman soldier would have been some type of protective it is kind of like a body armor maybe it's maybe it's leather maybe if you can't afford a nicer one you just kind of have a maybe a thin piece of metal that you've tried to harness around your body but it is it is designed to protect the chest and and uh, the internal part of our body from enemy attack. That's the physical need for it. It's important, however, that we clarify that this breastplate that the Paul is instructing us to put on, what is this that we're talking about? When you say the breastplate of righteousness, um, what is it that you're referring to, Paul? Well, let me tell you what it's not referring to. Paul is not referring to the, our need To put on to us self-righteousness. And he's also not referring to imputed righteousness when he speaks of this breastplate of righteousness. Don't nap on me for a second. Let me explain both real quick. I want you to catch this especially imputed righteousness. Self-righteousness first. Self-righteousness is not righteousness at all. But is sin rooted in pride. In fact, Isaiah 64 tells us that our own righteousness is nothing more than filthy rags before God. Imputed righteousness, however. Imputed righteousness is what happens the moment a person trusts Christ for salvation and is saved. Just for a moment, let me explain quickly the Gospel. The Gospel can be understood Maybe I hope clearly in this way by using four handles. Think of these handles this way. God, man, Christ response. Our God is holy and He's the creator of all things. And He created man in His own image for His glory and to have unique intimate fellowship with Him. Nothing kept Him from having intimate fellowship with the God of the universe. In fact, we see that God was looking for Adam and Eve In the coolness of the garden in the morning, we know that that existed as it was designed to. God. He made the rules, and as God, He has the right and ability to back up the consequences that come with the rules. However, man. Man chose to rebel against God as an act of His will, and as a result of His rebellion, ushered into His life, sin and death And the consequences that came with sin to include separation from God without any ability for Him to be made right permanently with God. God, man, Christ. The good news of the gospel is this, is that when God, present in the triune Godhead, created all that is, They knew because they're not limited by time or bound by anything on this earth. They knew that that mankind, their creation, would sin and sever their relationship with them. And a plan predetermined was established that had always been established in the heart and mind of God. Isn't that weird to think about? That that plan would come to full fruition in the fullness of time when God would send His Son to step in as our substitute because He, being the only person born of man and of God had who had never sinned and never um, severed His relationship with God, but He could stand in as a perfect substitute on behalf of all who would believe by faith in Him. And Jesus would take our consequences, our sin and the consequences, to the cross and be there killed for offenses that he did not commit, but that he is stepping in and taking on the offenses of mankind and standing in as the supreme firstborn substitute for all who would trust and obey. God, man, Christ. God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him response. Having been blessed with the gift of faith, all those who trust in the finished work of of the cross by Jesus and place their faith in Jesus, they are saved as they call upon the name of the Lord, confess Him as God, believe that God raised Him from the dead, they're saved. That brings about a change in their relationship that is resulted from the gospel so that they can then have life in, God, life in Christ, renewed relationship with God. And that is available for all who by faith trust in that finished work of the cross. This is the gospel. That man who was permanently separated from God because of their own sin had a way made for them to be made right with God through the shed blood of Jesus. And as man comes to the full acknowledgement of his own sin and his inability to get to God other than and apart from Christ, they can trust in Jesus and be made born again and new. So that all that was old is passed away and everything that is to come is all brand new in Christ. Now, when and at the moment of that salvation God looks down upon the person who has been saved by trusting in His Son and declares upon Him, He is righteous. He is clean. Not because of what they've done, but because the righteousness of my my son and the shed blood that covered their sin. Jesus' righteousness was imputed to all who believe by faith and are saved. Paul is not saying get dressed in something that God has already dressed you in because you cannot do that. He's saying put on the breastplate of righteousness, not imputed righteousness, but a practical life, day-to-day living out of righteousness, working out your salvation with fear and trembling. We've seen this in chapter 4 in Ephesians already verse 25 and 27 where Paul in this this chapter where he's turned from doctrine to practical living has written this, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we're members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. In this sense, the righteousness of a believer And the breastplate of righteousness of the believer is to be seen as character and conduct. It is important to note, however, and here's what I want you to hear. The connection between your imputed righteousness, the effect of the gospel for all who believe in Jesus, and the putting on the breastplate of practical righteousness, you cannot stand in victory until you have first been seated In the heavenlies. Until you have imputed righteousness of Christ. You cannot wear the breastplate of righteousness. But since you have believer. As you wake up. You dress yourself. Not only with the belt of truth. But also with the breastplate of righteousness. Finally the last piece. And I'm mindful of the time. So I will seek to be brief. Notice what it says. Back in Ephesians chapter 6, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and now as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In Isaiah chapter 52, Madeline led us to hear and we read with her that how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. I do not want you to miss out on the opportunity that God provides us and He's called us to do as disciple-makers in our community and among the nations to speak forth boldly with gospel conversations, with beautiful feet, bringing and bearing the, the counsel of how to have good news be real for you, how to walk in peace. However, for the armor of the believer, He's talking about something else. We have already spoken of the imputed righteousness of Christ and how that equals the way with which we can have peace with God. The believer who is dressing in the armor of God, having belted with truth, having dressed in the breastplate of righteousness, will also exhibit a peace of God in the midst of circumstances. And we can demonstrate and walk in a peace of God regardless of our circumstances because we're confident and we're growing in confidence as we're putting on these shoes of preparation for the gospel of peace that He is sovereign in control of all things that are happening in our life so that we can trust in the midst of things with peace. That He's even using hard circumstances to work out things that don't look like His Son Jesus, and to continue the process of conforming us into His image. I share this with you, not only as a truth and fruit and piece of armor that we are given to put on each and every day, but I do so with a confession. I'm a work in progress in this situation. Shannon and I and the kids, we've just finished our process of moving into our house And you would think that, uh, man, I've taught this, I've read this, I've studied this, I'm walking this, I'm seeking to apply this. Then why am I still having moments where I'm not exhibiting the peace of God? I'm sorry, the peace with God as a result of having peace of God. Case in point. Everything about our house has been a gift finding of the land, the building of the house, the moving in, the place we lived for the last 13 months, all of these things are evidences of God's grace. But imagine our surprise, my surprise, when a few days after moving in, we started noticing some cosmetic, and I stress cosmetic, we we don't have a problem, we've got a nuisance. But in that moment, it was an insurmountable problem, right? Because I wanted it to be perfect. But we had these little issues arise with the installation of the floor. And I'm, I'm looking for the person who installed that floor. However, in that moment, I wasn't exhibiting the peace of God. I wasn't exhibiting the fact that I had dressed in shoes with the readiness of the gospel of peace. Peace trusting that has, God has brought me this far, not only in the circumstances of our home, but in our life. How He saved me at seven years old. How He's led me in every step of the way. And in the midst of circumstances, the believer among all people. In the same way that I watched the funeral yesterday of Angela, Joe's sister-in-law, and I was blown away by the testimony of this young lady's life. And we get to mourn differently than the world. And we're given an opportunity to exhibit a different kind of response when the heat comes on. And by God's grace, we're getting dressed with shoes of the preparation of the gospel of peace. May it not be of us Christians and members of Redeemer Fellowship that is said of the cobbler sons who have no shoes, that we would walk around not exhibiting the peace with God. That comes from having the peace of God. Can I close with this encouragement? We have been issued battle armor. Because in this moment we are in battle. But there is coming a day. When we're going to trade our articles of battle armor. For robes of glory. And it will be a time where there will be no more. Enemy speaking into our head. There will be no circumstances that that bring up that old flesh in us that's still being taught how to die. There will be no occasions for arguments among marriages. And there will be no longer sickness that begins to creep in and cause us to question everything we know or believe about the faithfulness of God. There will be robes of glory and an invitation. To enjoy with eyes that need no glasses. The hands of the Savior that provided for our life. And until that day. Don't use your bulletproof vest as a cushion. Or your helmet as a footstool. But get dressed. And stand. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Jesus. I want to pray, Lord, that as there may be people in this room who have not experienced the imputed righteousness of Christ. In other words, Lord, they're they're still lost. They've not received that gift of faith from which they would call out to You, Jesus, and say, Save me. Because of the finished work You did on the cross, save me. Apply Your righteousness to my unrighteousness. And change me from the inside out so that I might have the righteousness of God because of You. If there's people in this room that that's the case, would You save them right now? Cause them to repent. Cause them to call out to You as Lord and Savior. And cause everything in their life that is old to pass away. And allow them to enjoy the newness of a life You came to provide. And Lord, for those who are in this room then we're believers, And we're growing in our faith. And we're growing in our sanctification. Or would You wake us up to the war that's around us? Would You wake us up to the power of our enemy? And would You give us confidence to stand having been dressed? Confidence not in our ability to get dressed, but in Your ability and the strength of Your might. Thank You, Lord, for the armor that protects us. Thank You for the victory from which we fight. And the victory You provided. To enable it to happen. I pray this in the blessed and holy name of Jesus. Amen. Let me invite you to let me invite you to stand and sing this song which the